A few years ago, a lady came to me with her heart was heavy with a burden. And her burden was that she had two little grandsons that she really loved. And she, her burden was that she desperately wanted these two little grandsons to know the Lord and to grow up and follow the Lord. It was a, it was a, a heavy burden on her. You could see it in her face. And so she, she asked if she could meet with me, and she came to my study and she had a notebook, a spiral-bound notebook. It was all full of her own handwriting. And she says, Pastor, I, these are the things that I believe. And I am writing them down because I want my grandsons to know what I believe. And I want them to believe what I believe. So, so I've written down what I believe in this notebook. I took the notebook and I looked through the notebook and the notebook was full of this woman's theology, what she believed, propositions that she'd written there, Bible verses to back them up, full of her own handwriting. This precious woman had a burden. And that's a good burden to have, a burden for generations to come. I heard once of an old farmer in Scotland, Aberdeenshire, Scotland. He's a hardworking farmer. He had a similar burden, and he expressed that burden every day. Because at the end of the day of work in the fields, he would gather all of his family members and his friends and workers, and he would pray every day. And every day he would pray for the faithfulness, he would, he would always pray for the faithfulness to God for the third and the fourth generation of his descendants, of all those that were his descendants. And he had a burden from the Lord to pray for the second and the third and to the fourth generation. Over and over again, every day, this old Scottish farmer would pray for the generations to follow. They say that uh, his grandson became the pastor of the Moody Church. H.A. Ironside's grandfather was that man. And they say that Ironside, when, whenever you would visit his study at the Moody Church, he had a picture of his grandfather. His grandfather had a burden that the generations to follow him would be faithful to God. In the Bible, Lois and Eunice must have had that burden. It says of them, Paul writing to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. When I call to remembrance the, the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded it's in you also. The great apostle Paul recognized that Lois and Eunice, the grandmother and the mother of Timothy, were, 
women of sincere, genuine faith. And he recognized the genuine faith from Lois and Eunice in Timothy. These women had this same burden for the generations. It says there in 2 Timothy 3.14, But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. There was a man, you may have heard of him, his name was George McCluskey. In his time, he was unknown, but he also had a burden for the generations. He also prayed regularly. Everyone who knew him knew that he regularly prayed for generations of faithfulness. He specifically prayed that all of his children and grandchildren would serve the Lord and that they would have an impact for the Lord. You, you may know that George McCluskey had a, a grandson who was a pastor, and he had another grandson who uh, didn't follow uh, in the ministry, but he, he took up uh, vocation as a counselor. You may have heard of him. His name was Dr. Uh, James Dobson. McCluskey had a burden for the generations, as grandsons have touched millions of people for Christ. God wants us to have the same burden. He wants us to have a burden for generations to come. His burden, he says, is to a thousand generations. To a thousand generations. You know, there are warnings in the Bible about disobedience to God and rebellion against God and how it affects the generations after you, the third and fourth generation, the effect of disobedience on generations. But in the scriptures, God says his faithfulness goes down through a, through a thousand generations. There's a miraculous power that God pours out when people have a burden for the generations to follow them. And today, you, you may be a bit discouraged about the generations to follow. It's not uncommon for older people to look at generations to come and wonder about the genuineness of their faith, wonder about the possibility of their flourishing, burden for the church, burden for the generations to come, and to see things in the nation that dishearten us. It would be easy for us to just be selfish and to concentrate on our own little, you know, gathering our own little possessions, our comforts, our pleasure, our kingdom, and, and, and to give up on generations to come. But, but the, the Bible from cover to cover challenges godly people to have the same burden that God has for the faithfulness of generations to come should the Lord delay his return. And for the next few weeks from here on the roof, I'd like to direct you to a psalm. Psalm 78. And this is a prophetic psalm. And this is a messianic psalm. We know from the study of God's word in Matthew chapter 13 that it was called a prophetic psalm and that it referred specifically to Jesus himself. And one of the powerful ways that Jesus would, one of the powerful means that Jesus would use in order to stimulate genuine faith in generation after generation after generation. We want to plant that burden in our heart. We want to strengthen, we want to fan into flame that burden this morning. And then week after week, in the next few weeks, we like to give very specific steps, very specific, actionable, practical things that we can do in order to influence generations after us from God. 
when we feel overwhelmed and when we feel burdened and when we feel discouraged and when we're tempted to give up or maybe we've had loved ones that have strayed from the faith or maybe we have loved ones who are prodigal or maybe we have loved ones whose hearts just really aren't really warm toward God. What should we do? But we should not give in to discouragement. But we should maintain this burden for the generations to come. And let me show you this now in the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things you've seen, unless they depart your heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Deuteronomy 4 and 9. Joel 1 3. Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. The thing I'm trying to establish from some of these scriptures is that the scriptures teach that we're not to just have a burden for our own flourishing in faith, but for our children and for our grandchildren, for others' children and grandchildren for generations to come. So it says in Psalm 145, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. In Psalm 71, 18, now also when I'm old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. And so we are given this delightful duty to teach, to train, to, to tell the generation to come the goodness of God, the works of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God. Think of that. Think of that. That's our duty. It's your duty then as a grandfather. Take your granddaughter, put her in the bow of the canoe, and paddle across a glassy lake and tell her that the things that are delighting her little eyes are created by God in heaven. It's your duty and your responsibility before God to take that little grandson into the deer blind with you and to pray and dedicate your hunt to God and dedicate your efforts to God and, and humble yourself before God and thank God for his blessing of your efforts. It's your duty and your sweet responsibility to drive across the night with a little one in the car, a child or a grandchild. And as the hours and as the miles go by and the little questions come, it's your privilege to patiently answer those questions that come spilling out of that little heart and to direct that little heart to God, the very source of their life, that's your duty. But are you not sometimes tempted to just be selfish or to be discouraged or to give up or to be frustrated? I want to just challenge all of us today never to let that, never to let that flag fall to the ground, never to drop that responsibility, never to cave into that Never to give in to discouragement and fear about the generation to come. Never to give in to cynicism, a skepticism about the generation to come. Never, never to give in to heaviness of heart about the generation to come. But always to believe that God will always have his people. And he will always be raising up young people who are a remnant for God, who will live for God, who will love God. And that he will bless our prayers. He will bless our example. He will bless our repentance. He will bless our instruction. He will bless our creative efforts. He will bless our gifts to influence and to impact 
generations to come because that's the burden on his heart and he wants us to have that burden on our, on our heart and not to let it go. And so we look in Psalm, look in Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, stories and proverbs, you see. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so they would set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments that they should not be like their father's stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. I want you to notice in that brief passage, six different things, very briefly, six different things that really should form perhaps the core of our prayers for the generation to come, for our children, for our grandchildren, for others who don't have faithful people watching over them, instructing them, or being an example to them. Think of the, this, this should be a part of our burden. I'm gonna suggest first that we would have a burden and a prayer that they would have confidence in God. The Bible says in verse seven that they would set their hope in God. This is what we would pray for our children and our grandchildren. God, help them have confidence in God. Help them set their hope in God. Let God be their hero. His word be their guide. Second, that they would remember the works of God. Our prayer, this would be true of us too, that we would have confidence in God, but that we would pray that they would set their hope in God, verse seven, have their confidence in God. And that they would be, that they would remember the works of God, that they would see what God has done and remember those things, that they would have a memory of the things that God has done. Our oldest son, Kyle, when he was a, a young teen, I encouraged him to share a, a devotional message on a Wednesday night to our small prayer meeting congregation. And he said, well, I'm kind of nervous about that. I said, well, it'd be, it'd be a good idea to kind of cut your teeth there. And they're, they're, they're nice, friendly people. You ought to give a talk to the prayer meeting crowd, small group there. Kyle said to me that day, he said, Dad, he said, could I use your study? Could I use your books? Could I, could I study for that message in your study? I said, yes. What I didn't realize is that he went into my study and instead of using the commentaries that I had there, he found the prayer journals that I had left there. And he spent a couple of hours pulling those prayer journals off of the shelf and laying those prayer journals on the desk and paging through and seeing the things that we had prayed for, the, the, the answers to prayer that God had given us. He spent a couple of hours rehearsing the faithfulness of God in our family. The people that we prayed for who came to know the Lord, the needs that we had that God 
had so faithfully met. He came out to the prayer meeting group and he said, I know that God answers prayer because he's answered prayer in my family. My Uncle Bobby, my dad prayed for him, and my Uncle Bobby is a Christian living for the Lord. We needed a washing machine, and God provided a washing machine. On and on he went. This is what we want for the generations to come, that they would know and that they would experience the reality of a living God in their own life that they would see the provision of God in their own life, that they would see the power of God in their own life, that they would see that God changes lives and answers prayer. They would see that God brings conviction to people and that they repent, and they would see that in us and in our lives, that they would not forget the works of God. This is what we want to pray for the next generation, that they would set their hope in God, that they would set their confidence in God, and that they would see the works of God and know the reality of a living God Across our nation today, it's very popular for skeptical, unbelieving people to say, you can keep your thoughts and prayers because they don't do any good. It's our opportunity as Christian people to show the world that thoughts and prayers, God says the meditation of the heart are powerful and that prayers are powerful, that God answers prayer, that a powerful God acts and answers to the prayers of faithful people. And that's... We want our children to see that power of the living God. Experience the power of the living God. That's what God tells us to pray here. That they would have confidence in God, remember the works of God. This week I spoke to a man, and he said, I had a terrible experience a few years ago. He said, I had a terrible physical problem that flared up, and I had to go to the hospital. It was a mystery, and Nobody knew what, what, why it was happening. At the very same time, my wife had a miscarriage. And while we were going through these dark trials, he said, I lost my job through an injustice. Three major blows to their family. He said, we, we started to eat the food that we had in the pantry. And he said, the day that we ate the last of the beans, he said, we ate... We cooked the last of the beans, and we ran out of food. He had, th he had three boys. He said, after we ate the last of the beans, he said, we bowed our heads in prayer, and we said, God, I don't know why you've allowed us to go through these trials, but we trust you, and we ask you to provide for us. He said, when he finished praying, there was a knock at the door. John Steingus is the name of the man who told me this story. He said when he finished praying, there was a knock at the door. When they went to the door and answered, they couldn't see anybody, but someone had left three big bags of groceries for them. And you know what he said to me that day? He said, my sons saw that. My sons saw that. Do you realize that one of the reasons why God may allow your family to be plunged through a great difficulty is so that your sons and your daughters would know that there is a living God who answers prayer, that they can depend on him. No matter how dark the night is, they pass through, that God is there for them. It may be that God is allowing you to pass through some trial, some difficulty, so that they would not forget the works of God, that they would set their hope in God, and then that they would be submissive to God. Notice what it says there, verse 7. They would set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but 
but keep his commandments and not be stubborn and not be rebellious. A curse on the earth is the rebellion of young people. And the great blessing on the earth is when a young person sets their hearts to submit to God. When young people submit their hearts to God and to his law, blessing sweeps into a nation. This is what we want to pray continually for our sons and daughters, our grandsons and granddaughters, other young people that need our influence, children who populate our WANA program and our Sunday school, that they would have confidence in God, that they would remember the works of God, that they would be submissive to God, and that they would be valiant for God. The scriptures here in verses 8 and 9 say that they would not turn back when, the battle, when they faced the battle. And folks, you've got to see in our day that those of us who are serious about following Jesus are going to run into opposition. We can't bury our heads in the sand and, 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 and pretend that it's not true. There are people who do not love God and do not understand God, and they're often people with authority and with power, and we are going to face opposition. We are going to face difficulty. Our children are going to face opposition. Our children are going to face difficulty. Our children may even face outright persecution in our nation. Will they be valiant for God? They need us to support them in prayer and in example and in repentance and in love so that they would be strengthened to be valiant for God. In a very difficult age, they're going to have to raise their young in. And then, number five, that they would never turn away from walking with God. Look in verse 10. They, they did not keep God's covenant. They refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works. We'll study this more. But all through Psalm 78, you have examples of God's faithfulness and the unfaithfulness of the people. But what, one of the things we want to pray for ourselves, and we want to pray for them, for our children and for the generations to come, is that they would be, have confidence in God, that they would remember the works of God, that they would be submissive to God, that they would be courageous for God or valiant for God, that they would never turn away from walking with God, that they would walk with God all the days of their life and never turn aside. That ought to be on our hearts in prayer over and over again every day for all of those over whom we have some spiritual influence. God, I don't care if they're wealthy or poor. I care if they walk with God. I don't care if they're famous or obscure. I care if they walk with God. This is what I pray for, that I would walk with God, that they would walk with God. What a tragedy it would be to be able to gain whatever you desired, but, but to spend eternity away from God in hell. And so we pray that they would never turn away from God. And finally, and this is all throughout this passage in a very beautiful way, that they would also train their children and their grandchildren, some of whom we may never meet, that they would follow our God, the God of their fathers. And this is all through this psalm. Listen to it carefully. Listen. As I read this psalm, the section of the psalm again, listen for the generations here. I will open my mouth in a parable and utter dark sayings of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers told us. We will not hide them from their children, 
telling to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might and the wonders that he has done. You see that? There's a multiple generations in the passage. This should be our vision. This should be our burden. This should be our dream. This should be the burden of godly people. Godly people have this burden for multiple generations to follow God, not just for us to survive this world and get to heaven, but that we would influence generations of faithfulness to God. And so um, how, how would you do that? If you say, if say maybe you have a stray, a son or, or a daughter who's strayed from the Lord, how would you do this when you see that there is, even in our day, many young people who are like openly, openly rebellious against God, have a heart of anarchy against God and the things of God and against the law and against authority. Can, let me suggest some things to you, and we'll repeat this, but let me suggest some things. Be an example of a faithful person that's trusting God. Be an example. Nothing is more powerful than showing an example. This is a person who I can, my grandmother, you know, you, I can, the, your grandchildren should be able to say, well, my grandmother always trusted God. No matter what she went through, when she went through the cancer, she trusted God. When her husband left her or mistreated her, she trusted God. Grandfather would not take the name, the name of the Lord in vain. Grandfather would not tell a dirty joke. Grandfather would not look in a wrong way at a young woman. Grandfather loved the Lord. Grandfather got up in the night and prayed. Grandfather didn't miss church. Grandfather gave to the church. Grandfather served the Lord. He was an example to me. Be an example. This world needs examples of faithful Christians. Keep being an example. And then secondly, love and pray. Be an example. Love and pray. Look for ways to love. Nobody refuses love. Look for ways to love them. People that you want to influence, love them. Even if they're rejecting what you say, don't stop loving them. And then pray for them. It's powerful to pray for how to love them. Ask God in your prayer, how do you want me to love them? Give me a supernatural direction through your spirit about what it is that, that they will recognize as love. How powerful would it be for them to have this great longing that, that you wouldn't necessarily know anything about and for you to love them in precisely that way because the Holy Spirit told you to do that. Be an example. Pray and love them. Now, that whole thing about when do I tell them like or correct them or preach at them or teach them or whatever. When they're young, of course, you diligently teach them. When they're older and, you know, they move out from underneath your authority, you, you know you probably have this instinct. You have to be wise and you have to have wisdom from the Holy Spirit about when to speak and when not to speak. So may God give you great wisdom about how to speak or write, when to speak, what to say when someone is far from God. But can I just suggest this? Don't ever give up on them. Don't ever stop praying. As long as your heart is beating, as long as their heart is beating, <coughs> keep them in your prayers. Keep them in your love. Keep them in the circle of your creative uh, ministry. And ask the Spirit to tell you when it's right to talk to them and when you should be quiet. But whatever you do, don't give in to discouragement, you see. Don't give in to despair. Don't throw up your hands and give up, but continue 
if everybody else in the world gives up on them, if everybody else in the world stops praying for them, you keep hope alive in your heart as long as they're alive that they will return to God. And maybe even after you die, they will do that. And so I was with my, grand, my father this week, and he had a surgery, and I spent a full, more than a full day with, with my dad, just the two of us. And we had hours of conversation. And my dad just turned 86. And he came to know the Lord in his mid-20s and has faithfully followed the Lord every day, a pastor and a bivocational pastor. And one thing I could tell from my you know, hours of conversations, I, as we sat there in that room together and we talked, I thought, we really are two old men. We really are two older men. And we both, as we talked, there was this sense in the room of two men, maybe especially my dad, who felt this burden for the generations to come. And as we watched some of the news broadcasts, we saw the terrible tragedies, the heartaches that are unfolding in our nation. Hearts just heavy together, burden for the generation to come. America needs to return to God and God's people need to return to repentance and faith and trust and living under the law of God in this power of the Spirit of God and under the benevolent love of God and the way that works is older people show younger people what that looks like and train them and teach them and pray for them and love them and influence them and we must not stop doing that we must not give up on that, but keep that alive in our hearts. They say that Adoniram Judson was a great missionary to Burma. Uh, and I read his biography once, uh, over 500 pages. And I noticed that the nearer that we get to the heart of God, the more that we have a vision in our hearts for for multiple generations to follow the Lord. That's true of the church. When you see a church grow cold and apostate, you notice that they speak little and care less of the generations beyond their immediate family. They're concerned of their own well-being, of their own possessions, of their own comforts, but they're not really concerned about generations to come. We're more concerned with our happiness and prosperity than we are about holiness and our posterity more preoccupied with our comforts here in this world and maybe even our comforts in a church than we are about our sons and our daughters, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and the faith that they'll inherit. And sometimes older people, even in the church, begin to insist on their own preferences without regard to the effect that kind of selfishness has on generations to follow. And I thank God that in this church it's clear that older people have tried hard to set that aside and, and reach out to younger people. And I thank God for that. I think, it's, I think that's one of the things that makes this a lovely church. But when the Spirit brings revival, things change. And men and women, when they grow close to God, they begin to have a burden for the generations. You, you can read this in the histories of revival. You can read this in the biographies of, 
men and women of God. The closer they get to God, the more they have the heart of God, the more they care about the generations to come. And in this biography of Adoniram Judson, his story was powerfully written by his son, Edward Judson, in 1883. 530 pages in, in the record of the final weeks of his life, the great missionary experienced a spiritual awakening, a renewal of spirit. As his physical strength ebbed away, his inner man was being renewed with spiritual vitality. The effect of that renewal was it stirred up his heart for the generations to follow and for the glory of God. These observations on the final days of his life were written by his wife in a letter to his sister. Notice how he was taken more and more with Christ and things eternal. Quote, I believe he was sometimes been thought eloquent, both in conversation and in the sacred desk or the pulpit. But the fervid, burning eloquence, the deep pathos, the touching tenderness, the elevation of thought, the intense beauty of expression, which characterized those private teachings were not only beyond what I'd ever heard before, but such as I felt were for sure arrested his own attention and surprised even himself. About this time, he began to find unusual satisfaction and enjoyment in his private devotions. In other words, she's saying, as I watched this great missionary come to the end of his physical life, he had a personal revival. He had a personal waking, and his, his messages had power. And he said, he was talking, she said she noticed that the things that he began to pray about, and she said this, among these things that he prayed about, one of the most prominent was the conversion of his posterity, those who had come. He remarked that he felt impressed with the duty of praying for their children and their children's children down to the latest generation. He also prayed most fervently that his impressions on this particular subject might be transferred to his sons and daughters and thence to their offspring so that he should ultimately meet a long, unbroken line of descendants before the throne of God where all might join together in ascribing everlasting praises to their Redeemer. This is what I'm saying. When The closer we get to God, the more we have the burden of God on our heart for the generations. And we don't let go of that burden. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, God says that he can miraculously and powerful, powerfully work way beyond our lifetime to a thousand generations. So, folks, listen to me. I know that many of you are discouraged by what you see. I know that. I know you're discouraged by what you see in our nation. I know you're discouraged by what you see maybe in your own family. But God is supernaturally powerful to reach across generations and draw the hearts of people to himself in a way that you and I cannot possibly even imagine. God is powerful to do that. And we trust him by continuing in obedience. We trust him by continuing in prayer. And listen, here's an important obedience. What about our repentance? What about pockets of sin in our own life? Is there an attitude of racial prejudice in the secret place of your heart that your children and your grandchildren have seen? And should you not repent? And should you not make it right with them? This is what I've said. This is what I've done. This was sinful. This was wrong. I lumped off all people of a certain skin pigmentation into one category in prejudice. What other kinds of things do our children and grandchildren need to see? The tenderness of our own heart. 
We expect them to repent, but they haven't seen us repent sometimes. Would a generation of young people repent if they knew how to do it because they saw us walking with a tender heart toward God in brokenness, in humility, in contrition, in repentance, in kindness, in honesty before God? When I was a boy, I loved to visit my grandfather's farm. I loved it with all my heart. It was a humble place, but I loved it. There's a, there's a corn crib that we would use like a World War II pillbox, and we would attack our cousins with corn cobs. And there was a barn, and we could play in the hay. We worked a little bit, but we could, we could play in the hay and watch them milk the cow. There was a hog barn. There was a, there was a bunch of mature trees in the yard, a big old airy two-story house. You could go up on a summer night, and you could lie in the bed, and you could open the windows, and you could smell the lilacs blowing on the evening breeze or the fresh mown hay. You could work all day till you were tired, and then you could eat grandma's food, and then you could lay on the porch, and you could watch the stars in the heavens. It was such a beautiful place. I loved to go there. It was humble, but it was beautiful. You'd ride up through the fields on the tractor, and you'd, watch, you'd look out over the hillsides, and you'd see the billowing clouds and the perfect blue sky. You'd watch a thunderstorm come in. You'd listen to Grandpa's stories. You'd eat Grandma's food. Fish on the pond in the evening when the sun was going down. But when I was in high school, my grandfather sold the farm, and he had to move in town. Grandma and Grandpa moved in town. Farm didn't belong in our family anymore, and the years went by. And more years. And then once I moved close to the area, I thought one day on a... I was going to go on a hospital call, and it was going to take me down south of our town. I thought, you know, I'm going to leave a couple of hours early, and I'm going to go over, and I'm going to drive by the farm. I'm going to take a look at the farm. And I remember driving by and thinking, wow, it's not like it used to be. And the, 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 the hog barn was gone, and the corn crib was gone, and, and the garage was different, and the pond really was grown over with weeds. It, it was still a nice place, but it wasn't what I remembered. And then we moved away from the area, and a number of years after that, I took the family back, and I said, I want to show you, I want to show you the farm where, where we would go in the summer. I remember we drove down that road, and at the top of the hill, there's a split rail fence, and you turn the corner at the split rail fence, you'd be at the top of the hill, and you could look down into the valley where the farm set. And when we turned the corner at the split rail fence, and we slowly made the corner and then we looked down into the valley. I was just shocked. I drove down past the farm and the barns were gone and the garage was gone. The big maple tree that had the tire swing in it was gone. The house was gone. Almost everything that I remembered when I was a boy was gone. A new house was built up the hill, a new barn beyond the house where the raspberry patch, or the blueberry, or raspberry patch used to be. Stood there and I, I looked at the place where the farm used to be for a while and then I got back in my car and I drove back over the hill. I've often thought about that. I've often thought, what will we have left? 
when everything we worried about is gone? What will we have left when everything we work to buy is gone? What will we have left when everything that kept us awake at night with worry is gone? What is it that we have that nothing can ever take away from us? What is more important than influencing generations to know and to love God? And so today, I want to leave you with a benediction, a prayer blessing to you. But before I do, I want to tell you a little bit more of that story. The woman that came to me, the grandmother that came to me with a burden for her boys, I looked at her spiral-bound notebook for that week, and I studied it carefully. And then I called her, and I said, I want you to come back because I see something here that I need to tell you. I don't think this book is the best way for you to influence your boys, your grandsons. I think there's a better way. It's the way that Jesus used. And folks, next week, when you return, I will show you this in Psalm 78. But let me send you home now with a blessing. God in heaven, burden us for the generations to come if you delay your return. Give these today who have gathered in your name a great burden and a great vision for generations who are faithful to Christ. Forgive us for giving in to discouragement. Help us to be an example. Help us to be an influence. Help us to love. Help us to pray without ceasing. Give us repentant hearts. Fill us with creativity to influence the generations to come to follow Christ with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind and all their strength and never to turn aside. Amen.